Well, good morning. I'm, uh, I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. If I didn't get to meet you on the way in, please stop me on the way out. I would love uh, to meet you. Um, you are joining us in the midst of us going through Psalms. And so um, we're not going through all 150 Psalms. Uh, we're hitting specific Psalms um, that teach us how to worship, teach us, give us samples of what worship looks like in the different situations in our lives. And so what we've seen um, a couple weeks ago, the very first one, it was, it was we worship God when, when things are good and happy and joyful, and right? Like that's kind of a, the baseline, what we think of as worship, right? The, the I'm happy and so I worship God and everything's, you know, there's rainbows and coconuts and, and monkeys and everything is great, right? Um, and then the next week, we, we saw the, the polar opposite of that, and it was, what does worship look like in sorrow and despair? And lament, and, and how that, that's not, that worship doesn't become absent there, but that it's, it's actually purified there. And we actually see a, a very raw worship of God where we go, I don't know what to do, but I know you are sovereign God, and I need you, and that's worship. And then last week we saw what the motivation of this worship is, right? This, this hope in God, right? The, the foundation of it is that we believe certain things about God's character. We get that from God's word. And so we know who God is, we know his power, and we know his ways, how he operates, how he treats us as adopted children. And so we interpret our lives in those contexts, and we have hope, right? Instead of being hopeless in this world, we have a steady hope in the character, the unchanging character and nature of God. That's all words. That's all emotions. Nobody sees that in you, right? Other than maybe the, the uh, demeanor of your face and how you walk around at work or at school, right? Nobody, nobody really knows those things, right? If you're worshiping God because things are good, if you're worshiping God in the midst of your despair, if you're worshiping God because of this, this profound hope you have on his character, nobody knows that. I mean, it's inferred. But this morning, it'll be totally different. We're going to see that our hope is communicated to the world by the, where we go for refuge. And what we're going to see is David is going to talk through this in Psalm 63. Where is our refuge? Where do we actually run? Where do our feet take us? Where do our minds go? Where do our hands go? What happens in our lives when things go south? That the world sees. That proclaims the gospel in a profound way, in a singular way, right? It's not, you can't say these words and then not run to God for refuge. So that's our prayer this morning, that, that as we dive into his word, that we see that in our lives and we, and we allow the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do, is convict us and point to us and go, where are you running? Let me start by praying. Father, we thank you for this time. I thank you for giving us this invitation to worship you not out of demand or obligation, but that when we worship, we are changed. When we worship you, 
we find peace and contentment and joy. We worship you because you are worthy of worship. Father, teach us how to worship this morning. I pray that as we read through Psalm 63, that if there's something you don't want me to say, I pray that you'd just lock it up and bring to mind what you want me to say because we want to hear from you, Father. We love you. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 63 is written by David. It says at the beginning when when Bill read that, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. We kind of talked about this a little bit before, but you got to go back and you got to you got to know the context of where David's at, okay? And you can go back and read this. 1 Samuel 16 is where it starts, and you can read the rest of 1 Samuel, and you get a pretty good profile of David's life. And he started off, and, and these stories are going to sound familiar, but I'm just going to connect him here real quick because he's the author of this psalm, right? And so he was this little dude, part of no shepherding sheep. Like, he was small. He was not of no significant anything, And up walks Solomon and declares that he is going to be the next king of Israel. Okay? That's that's a pretty remarkable change in life. Um, He then gets invited and hired by Saul to play music for him. And so he he gets hired. And so he's like, I got a job. I'm going to be the king. I know that. I've got a job. He marries Saul's daughter. He's married. Things are going great. Goliath shows up. He slays him. Things are looking great for David until they're not, until Saul realizes what is about to transpire and tries to kill David. So David flees, right? And now David's in the wilderness. He's running. He's on the run, and he doesn't know where to go. Life is chaos. He's like, everything was going great. I don't know what happened, but something changed. And so, and this is the vast majority of the Psalms where we get this out of David, where he's going, He's interpreting his life, his circumstances. He's going, how do I understand this? How do I worship God in the midst of this? And what we read in Psalm 63 is that he takes refuge in God. Now, I will say that there are, there are three, um, three ways that he describes what taking refuge in God looks like. Um, I could probably spend a full sermon on each one of them. So the first one's going to be a little bit longer than the other two, so don't worry. Um, but the first one is that he seeks God. Take refuge in God. He actually seeks God. Read with me in uh, Psalm 63, verse 1. It says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land, where there is no water. They're having a good time. <laughs> Kendall and Zach are rocking it back there. That's good. Uh, I usually challenge Kendall to, to make it loud enough. So, um, Where do you go? Where do you, what do you seek? So here's David in this wilderness. Certainly he wants food and water. Certainly he wants all of this to be gone. Certainly he wants to be the king of Israel. Certainly he wants to reunite with his wife, right? Like he, he wants all of this like normal stuff. And you would go, well, why doesn't God give that to him? Like he's obedient, he loves God. 
A man after God's own heart is how he's described. So why doesn't God just make it easy? How many, how many times have we said this? God, I, I could serve you really well if you would just remove all of this stuff. Right? This is how we live life. And we sit here and we go, okay, well, once I get past this, then everything's going to change. It's the worst lie we tell ourselves. Because it doesn't ever happen. When, uh, when the kids were young, um, you know, Melissa and I would parent a little differently at, at times. And it was a good balance, um, I think. Um, and so let's say you're going through the grocery store, and maybe your child, little child, little, right? Like just the age where they're walking around. And, um, and you're walking, you're shopping, and you're like, keep up. And then they stop, and they get distracted. Okay. Maybe this is, maybe this is a, a dad thing. I don't know. But I would say, let's hurry up and turn the corner so they can't see us. <laughs> I didn't think this through when I was thinking of the story. But, and so we would turn the corner, and then we would like kind of peer over. And they're sitting there playing with whatever, right? They're, they're, they're fine until... <laughs> that moment, and it's this realization of, oh, no. <laughs> and, and I, you know, it's hard to remember, but you got to imagine, they're like looking around, trying to figure out where their parents went, or maybe their dad. Maybe this was, just, maybe Melissa wasn't there. I don't know. <laughs> but what do they do in that moment? They seek you right? They panic for sure. And they seek you. They start crying and they're like, where is my mom? Where is my dad? Where, where are they? Right? That, that's us. The problem though, is that we just keep looking at the cereal aisle <laughs> and we go, well, I don't know where they went, but do you check out this one? Do they still put toys in cereal? I don't know. That's what I remember looking for. Which one had the best toys in the bottom of the cereal box? Where, what, what do they seek? They seek their parents. They seek, seek their father. They seek their mother. Like, this is what we ought to be seeing. This is what David says. Earnestly, I seek you. He's, we should seek God. That, he is our refuge. He is our protection in times of despair and frustration and sadness and failure. We go to God. Our feet should incline us to go to God and be rescued by him. But look at how it describes the seeking, earnestly. Now, maybe some of your Bible versions um, say early. Uh, it could, it, it's actually, it, the word in Hebrew is actually like at the dawn so, so it has this, this beautiful picture of like early and earnestly. What, what things do you do early in the morning? The things that are important, right? If you're like, I got all these things to do today, like on a Saturday or something, a day off, you, you start with the things that are the most important. This is what he says. Now, I will, I will say I've, I've heard this many times doesn't matter when you spend time with God, when you're seeking him, 
when you're going to him, when you're praying, when you're reading his word. But I think the morning is a good time. I think the first thing that you're doing in your day is a good, good place to start. I'm not going to, you know, I don't think God, I know God doesn't smite people who do their studies in the evening. I know that's not the case. But why, why do we go around with a day of chaos, barely stumbling out of the house, not fully clothed, missing, forgetting things, and we're just scrambling, and then we wonder where God is all day? Earnestly seek him. Don't just seek him. Earnestly seek him. He is your refuge. He is this protection for you. And so when you go to God, when you seek God, you are worshiping him because you are declaring that he is your refuge. He is your priority. He is the thing in your life that you trust more than anything else, more than working out, more than reading the news, more than catching up on social media, right? I'm, I'm, this, this is to me, okay? You guys know this, right? This is, this is, these are the things that, that, that consume us. In fact, Thursday morning, I was sitting down writing some of this, and I spent the first 30 minutes on the news, you know? And, and I didn't mean to. It just, it just popped up, and, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. It's like the box of cereal. I'm like, oh, what's that? Turn with me over to Psalm 119, verse 147. It says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. That's taking refuge in God. And then look at what it says. It says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. It's very clear who David is is seeking. What do we seek? <laughs> what do we substitute in place of that word you? Because here's the thing. There are a lot of things in our life that can provide us with refuge. There are. There's a lot of things in our life that we can worship. But if God is our refuge, if we are inclined to worship God, then we go to him instead of all the other things in our lives. And this is the point. This is what David is saying. I mean, this whole first verse is, I would, I would put this one to memory. I love this verse. It's, it's one of my favorite. Um, because I want that. I want to thirst for God that way. I want my flesh to faint for God. I want to be so parched so longing of God that I could say these things, but the reality is I'm not. Sometimes I am. I get more excited as 
my weekend ends and it leads up to this morning than anything else because I'm spending more and more devoted time in God's word and in his presence. But Mondays, Monday I don't spend time because it's like a, a reprieve, a little vacation day. And Tuesday and Wednesday I'm typically busy with work and, and, I, and I wonder why I feel the way I do. <laughs> Can you guys relate? And so this is both a, a, a worship, but it's also a prayer. See, David's in the desert. What does David need? Food, water, shelter. That's what they teach us, right? Hope. <laughs> I talked about that last week, right? These are the things in our training, right, in the military they teach us. Food, shelter, water, hope, and you'll be good. Maybe some sunscreen. That's not really what David needs. That's not what any of us need. It puts a Band-Aid on the problem. He, he needs to be rescued from his circumstances. He needs to be rescued by God. He needs a refuge by God that will protect him, that will guard him, that will rescue him fundamentally. And this isn't always just physical. This is emotional. This is spiritual. This, is, this, is, this refuge that God provides us is profound. All right, the second thing that we can do when we're, when we're taking refuge in God is as a form of worship, David says, behold God. Look what it says, verses two through four. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Do you guys see the transition in here real quick? This is where, as you, as you read through this, you got, you got to look at like the, I don't know what grammar terms they are, but anyway, I'll just leave that. Because, whatever because is. So it says, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. This is what he's doing. And then what does it say? Because your steadfast love is better than life, I will praise you, right? And it goes on. So what, what happens here is David is beholding the power and glory of God and he realizes, concludes, re and, and recognizes that God's steadfast love is better than life. Those are connected statements. When you are beholding God, you will see and understand and comprehend and saturate yourself with his love. And you will realize that his love is better than life. Now, some of you in here may be like, it sounds weird. And it is. It is, it is frankly, a weird thing to say. All, all I can say is that it, it's, it's truth. And, and I hope that, that the people that you know, you know here or whatever, like if you're a guest and this is your kind of your first time hearing this, like this is a profound truth. This changes everything. But you don't know it until you realize it. You can't just say, yeah, sure, God's love is better than life. No, that's, that's a profound thing to say. Can, can you say it? 
Can, can you actually say that to yourself in, in, in all consciousness? Can you like really like say, I believe that God's love is better than my life. Better than all the things. Like those kids back there are screaming. They're happy. But God's love is better. Your, your future life, your, your amazing, successful career, God's love is better. Your spouse, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your, your prospects of that, God's love is better. Success, accolades, God's love is better than that. Now, you may say, no, I don't think so. All right, I will tell because the reality is that if God exists and he put us on this rock for a purpose and he reaches down into our existence, and you may, we read this in Philippians chapter two that Jesus came down to rescue us. We have to ask ourselves, why did God create us and why did he have to rescue us and what did he rescue us from? And when you answer those questions, you will get to the foundational truth that God is love. And his love doesn't change. It's not fickle. It's not based on getting up early in the morning and reading your Bible. It's not based on your obedience. It's not based on those things. God unilaterally loves you. We said this last week. He is for you. He wants you to take refuge in him. And he goes, I mean, just like my, my, my daughter in the cereal aisle, I want her to come, turn the corner and find me and find me there like this. And I go, honey, you gotta pay attention. Don't get lost. Something worse could happen. This could happen at some horrible place. Disneyland, Melissa's got this amazing story with her sister in an elevator in a hotel, you know, like, when she was young, like that's, who's, who's lost a kid in here? Come on. Okay. But what do you, but what do you do, right? Like you, you, you're sitting here going like, come back to me and I want you to know me. I want you to like know that I'm there for you and I'm here to protect you. That's how God sees us. That's how God sees us. Turn over to Philippians chapter 1. Got a lot of legs out of that statement, huh? <laughs> Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. Listen to Paul express this truth in his life. And he's talking about going to the, to the uh, church in Philippi. In verse 20, he picks that. He says, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. This is a verse that many of you know. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. You think Paul understood 
that God's steadfast love is better than his life? Clearly. He says, if I'm alive, I'm proclaiming the gospel. And it's for, for you, for others. This is what Paul's saying. And this is how we all should be living, right? Like, if I'm alive, I'm going to take every opportunity I can to, to speak truth, to show the love of Christ to my neighbors and my family and my friends and, and my coworkers. And, like, that's what I'm going to do. And if I die, then I'm with Christ. Win-win. That's what Paul says, because he goes... God's steadfast love is in both of those places. You see, there's, a, there's this picture of God's, like God's steadfast love is experienced in his presence, right? You know God's love when you're in his presence. So he goes, if I'm here, I've got, and especially for us, right, we've got the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us and we know Christ. And if we pass, we're with him. So behold God. This is what he says, right? At the very beginning of this, he goes, beholding his power and glory, that's when you're going to get to those conclusions. So, are you beholding God? Or are you glancing at him? Or do you give him a side eye? <laughs> behold. What do you behold? Honestly, I can't think of much things that I behold, that I like stare at profoundly. Like maybe a sunrise or a sunset. Crossing the Trout River up on 295 West, so beautiful in the morning. It's really cool. I behold that. But other than that, what do we, what do we behold? What captures our attention? What David says is he's, He's beholding God. That's how we take refuge in him, right? We behold him. We go, this is who I want to protect me. This is who I need to go to. I'm beholding the creator of the universe, and in that, I recognize his love for me. Third one, remember God. Remember God what he's done. Look at what it says in Psalm 63. I'll read 5 through 8. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. He says, when I remember you upon my bed. I, I, I want to I make a glancing. We already talked about waking up early. And now he's saying, in the watches of the night, in the middle of the night, what am I doing? What am I doing when I'm laying my head on the bed? What do we do for our kids? We read them bedtime stories, don't we? Nice little story. I mean, not, any, not anymore, but some, at some point, some ages, they, you do, right? And you, and you start the story, and you're like, this is what's happening, and this is, and this is what happens at the end. And they're usually asleep halfway through. 
think David is encouraging us to do that with the stories of God in our lives. Isn't that what he says? He's like, when I'm, when I'm laying down to go to sleep, I'm remembering you. Remembering what you've done in my life. I'm, I'm, I'm telling these stories to myself. And I'm dwelling on them. What better way to go to sleep? It says he meditates in the watches of the night. How many times have we woken up early or woken up in the middle of the night and couldn't go back to sleep, adults? <laughs> and our minds start racing and we can't stop them. I'm guilty of getting up and making a list. I've solved a lot of problems, frankly, in the middle of the night in my own work and things of that nature. But that's not what David encourages us to do. You wake up in the middle of the night, go, go behold God. Go remember him. Go lull yourself back to sleep with a bedtime story of God's goodness in your life. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? You know, we have... We have stories in our lives. I hope that we can go back and see where God worked. I, in fact, I was uh, having coffee with somebody this week. It was the first time in my life that like, I had connected two, two events. Like, I had never connected them before. You see, because as we live through life, maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're a little better than me. Like, a, a lot of times I, I'll... You know, especially when I go back and I'm thinking through stuff, it's, it's kind of like, oh, they're just coincidences and it's just things that happened. And then as you look, it's like, yeah, that was, that was profoundly sovereign. <laughs> that was pretty providential that that happened there. If that hadn't happened, if God hadn't moved here, then this wouldn't have happened and this wouldn't have happened. And so you can walk through that and you can go, Build your story. What's your storyline? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. What are your markers? Are your markers of God's faithfulness in your life that you go back to? We talked about this during the, during the lament, right? When you're, in, when you're in despair and you're in sorrow, what, what are the markers that you go back to to remind you of God's goodness? Well, this is the same thing. What's the storyline? What are the places that God has, encount, has encountered you in your life where you can know without a shadow of a doubt that this was God? Point to that. Maybe you only have one story. Just give it some time. You'll have more. And if you're young, you're like, yeah, I got nothing. I don't know. Ask your parents. They probably have some. That's the beauty of this, by the way. Right? A few of the guys, we all sat around a campfire, you know, on Friday night. And, and that's the time for us to tell some of these stories. To go, this is what happened in my life. And you go, I might not have my own story, or maybe I don't have a recent story. <laughs> but he does. And I heard his story. And then it's okay to tell somebody else's story to you when you go to bed, right? They don't all have to be autobiographies. It's okay. So this is what David encourages us to do. 
And then the last three verses. He goes a little dark here. Took me a while on these, by the way. (laughs) Verse 9. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Notice the words that he uses there. They shall. What is David convinced of? The inevitability of their demise, right? That, that, that they are against him who's been anointed king of Israel. In, in, you can say like he's, he's pursuing God's kingdom, right? And these people are trying to kick him out. In fact, they have kicked him out. They have cast him out into the wilderness, into the desert, right? And so he can't come to the temple. He can't come to church, right? He can't come and experience this community. And so he's out there. And so, yeah, he's frustrated by that. He's like, I wish. And he's recollecting back when, it, when, when he was here, when he was gathering together, when he was worshiping and beholding the power and glory of God. But he knows the inevitability of their demise for what they are doing in fighting against God. He doesn't seem, I I went back and forth on this. Is David angry with them? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, he just kind of says what their demise is. It's clear that he anticipates victory, right? That he's like, this is what's going to happen to them. And in fact, that last word where it says, all who swear by him, God, shall exult. That's, be, that's praise, glory, shine. Like those of us who, who swear by God, who trust in God, who have taken our refuge in God, will, fact, be glorified with him. We will experience the presence of God. That's the promise. And so David is saying this at the end. He's like, this is what's gonna happen. There's, there's a sovereign God. And he has invited us into his presence. And Jesus says that he goes and prepares a place for us. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays for us. He goes, I want them, you guys, us, to be with me where I am. That's what Jesus says to God. He's praying about you and me. It's inevitable. We know what the future holds. And so David takes comfort in that. He knows what this means to take refuge in God and in God alone. I'm going to close with one last recognition here. Taking refuge in God is the defining element of the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That we don't take refuge, we don't build our own refuge and say, I got this. I'll be okay. I can protect myself. I can make enough money. I can control my circumstances. I can provide my own security. I can be good enough. I can do exactly what I need and, and I don't need God. Like building a, a fort in the cereal aisle out of boxes and you're like, I'm good. Mom and dad just... I got everything I need. I'm in a grocery store. 
I'll call you when I'm 18. It's ridiculous. And yet that's how we live our lives. We get distracted by the next style over and whatever. It doesn't matter, right? And so this is the picture that David is painting here, that God is showing us, and that the gospel is us going, I need refuge. I need it. We need it. We need God to protect us. We need God to take care of us. We need God to be around the corner of the aisle with his arms open wide going, come here. I got you. I got you. That's our God. That's what he promises us. And so when we look at this, when we, when we, when we look at the gospel and the, what Jesus did for us, it isn't just that he's a refuge for us against these external things. He's a refuge for us against us. That's the beautiful part. Because you can't stop sinning. I can't stop sinning. We can't. We live in rebellion, and there's no amount of good deeds that can remove that from us. It doesn't make these things go away. We are rebellious, deceitful, hateful, selfish people. We are. You can, you can deny it. You can say that you're a pretty good person, but when it really comes down to it, you're not. But Jesus took your sins. He gave you, this is the great exchange, right? Jesus took his righteousness, his perfect righteousness, he gave it to you in exchange for what? Your trash. That's the great exchange. That's why it's the good news, because what do you do? Nothing. You just turn, you go, I'm taking refuge in God. That's what it is. And so if you haven't placed your faith in God, that's what he's saying. Take refuge in me. Which way do your feet go? When things go south, when life gets difficult, when things are troublesome, how do you worship God? What do you do? He goes, come, take refuge in me. Let me pray.